And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you, argu- what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he rose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out, but by anything. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of God. You can be seated. I'll ask that as you're being seated, would you please bow with me? Father, we ask that you would please help us this morning, open our eyes, soften our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would please help us to receive this word as we ought this morning with obedient hearts, willing and ready to walk in the truth. I pray this morning that as we learn about our great enemy and about his enemy, Lord, that you would please encourage our hearts Give us tools that we need to fight and give us faith that we need to continue believing to the end. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've titled the message this morning, which is chapter uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. I've titled it, Know Your Enemy and Know His Enemy. Know your enemy and know his enemy. When we use the phrase, Know your enemy. What we mean is, know your enemy's ways. Know his methods. Know his tactics. Know his weaknesses. Why? Well, of course, for the purpose of really two things. Not being defeated by him. And number two, knowing how to defeat him instead. That's what we mean. That's what we want to do by knowing our enemy. Now, though the Christian really has three enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil, it's the third enemy, the devil, that we'll be talking about primarily today. There are some who think, there are some who think that if you talk about the devil or think too much about the devil, that somehow empowers him 
or makes him show up. We even have a saying when we're talking about someone and that person walks in the room. We even have a saying, what is it? Speak of the devil, right? That saying comes from an old saying. We usually just say the part of it, but there's an old saying, speak of the devil and he shows up. Now, of course, that's just not true. But some people think that. I've met people who, I met a lady that once told me, I don't like to talk about the devil. I don't like to even talk about him. And we kept talking about why that was. And she, she thought, well, that makes him want to come. That, that somehow empowers him. But it's actually good for the Christian to know his enemy for the purpose of not getting tricked by him, not getting trapped by him, or defeated by him. It's even better for the Christian to know the devil's great enemy. And of course, I'm referring to the Lord Jesus himself. It's even better to know your enemy's enemy. You'll see why I'm saying this as we read our as we uh, walk through our text, you've already heard it this morning. This is not Jesus' first encounter with a demon or demons, is it, in the book of Mark so far? Remember where we're coming from. We've just come from the Mount of Transfiguration. They are coming down now back among the people. We've seen Jesus interact with demons multiple times, but I wanted to take this opportunity to delve a bit deeper into this darker realm of demons this morning. Mankind, though frightened by the thought of demons, is also attracted to this world of the unknown spiritual realm we are. There's been TV shows about ghosts and demons and things like that, books, and people even pay money to be scared at haunted houses, right? It's just this kind of this world of the unknown. Though it scares us, it sort of also attracts us, which is probably one reason why there was this great crowd gathered around I say one reason because Jesus drew crowds anyway, but it's probably one reason why a great crowd was gathering around as the disciples attempted to cast this demon out of this young man. Demons, they are spiritual creatures. And I use the word creatures because they are created beings. But they were not demons when first created by God. God is not the author of evil. He can never be. So he did not create these angels as demons in their fallen state. But they were first angels. The king of the demons, the devil, also once an angel himself. We're told in scripture that his sin was conceit or pride. It was the original reason for his fall. It's interesting because in the book of 1 Timothy, Paul, when telling Timothy about the qualifications of an elder. This would be like a pastor. He mentions this just in passing. In talking about an elder, he says he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Conceit or pride was what originally condemned the devil. Apparently, it was soon after 
the devil was created, that he fell into sin. I say that because, listen to what John says in the book of 1 John, 1 John 3, 8. The devil has been sinning from the beginning, he says. From the beginning. His sin must have happened so close after his creation that the Holy Spirit can, can inspire a writer to say that he's been sinning from the beginning. Jesus even said of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning. So from the beginning, so shortly after his creation, the devil fell into pride. Of course, this led to him being cast out of heaven. Jesus was responsible for the casting out. Jesus remembers seeing it in Luke 10, 18. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus said, I saw it happen. He fell. He was cast out. As for demons and where they came from, we're actually told in the book of Revelation, listen to this, very symbolic language here, we'll talk about it, but Revelation 12, 34, listen to this, Revelation 12, 34, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven horns, I'm sorry, seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, those are crowns, children in case you don't know, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Revelation is what we call apocalyptic literature. That is very, it's very characteristic of, apoc of apocalyptic literature to be very symbolic. And so the symbol for the devil here is this red dragon. And what the stars represent are angels. When the devil fell, he took a third of the angels with him. They also rebelled against the Lord. It's not as if his tail swooped them down and they were like, no, we don't want to go with him. No, they also rebelled. This tail swooping them down means they came under his rule as well. They said, yeah, we're going to rebel also, which also goes to show that angels have a will. They also make choices. They chose to follow him, and he pulled them down with him. The devil and demons now, in this state that they're in, it can never be reversed. They will always be demons. And their judgment is sure. They will go to the lake of fire. It's inevitable. They will go there. Their doom is sealed. Their fate is sure. In fact, when Jesus is telling about the final judgment of mankind, we call it the sheep and the goats judgment. When he's telling about that, he actually says in the book of Matthew 25, 41, he says, then he will say to those on the left, this is the son of man at the great final judgment, he says, depart from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, listen to this, prepared for the devil and his angels. The eternal fire was originally created for the devil and his angels that fell. Originally, that's what it was made for. Now, of course, non-believers will go there as well. And since misery loves company, they try to take as many people with them as they can. When it comes to being possessed, like we see with this young man in our text, demons, which are spirit beings, 
they can enter into physical bodies. Once there, they begin to set up shop. Once there, they start to take over and they begin their reign of destruction within that person. Not only do they themselves attempt to hurt the person in whom they dwell, like we saw with the young man possessed by the demon, it often threw him down, trying to throw him into fire and throw him into water. Not only do they try to hurt and ruin the person, but they also promote self-destruction. Remember Legion, the man possessed by the legion of demons who dwelt among the tombs? What does it say about him? He often cut himself. So they also promote self-destruction once within a person. Now, am am I painting with a broad brush here? No. I'm not saying that every demon-possessed person, uh, the demon has always tried to throw that person into fire or into water, and they always cut themselves. No. But this is characteristic of what demons do. They destruct, they enter into, destroy, and they promote self-destruction in many different ways. Demons hate God, and they hate man. They cannot attack God, but they do attack man who was made in the image of God. Though they can possess men, women, and even boys and girls, according to our text, because remember Jesus said, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, since childhood. Though they can possess men, women, boys, and girls, They cannot possess the Christian. The believer, the Christian, cannot be possessed by a demon. The one who repents and believes the gospel is taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into God's light. Listen to this text from Colossians 1.13. Actually, can we put this one on the screen, Wade? Would you mind putting Colossians 1.13 on the screen for me, brother? I want you guys to look at this with me. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Isn't that good? That's what happens to the believer, taken out of the domain of darkness. What that means is every non-believer is still in the domain of darkness. Every non-believing friend you have, even if he or she is extremely nice, a really nice person. I've met some extremely, wonderfully nice non-believers. But the truth is, they're still in their sin. And they're still in the domain of darkness. They just don't know it. Because the devil, he's a deceiver. And do people who are deceived know they're deceived? No. That's the very definition of being deceived. You don't realize it. The Christian is also sealed with the Holy Spirit. Wade, would you also please put Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 on the screen. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise 
of his glory. So, two reasons why the demon cannot possess the Christian is because he's no longer in that domain of darkness. He's in the kingdom of light, and the Christian is sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in the believer. Because the Lord himself has taken up residence within the believer, the devil cannot dwell within the believer. Light and darkness cannot take up the same space. And that's good news. You cannot be possessed by a demon. However, Christian, you can be oppressed by a demon. There are actually five ways. I made a slide for you guys. There are actually five ways that a demon oppresses a Christian. There's probably more. But these are the five main ways that demons can oppress a believer and cause him to do these five things. So, when the demon oppresses a Christian, he will cause him to fear the day of his death instead of anticipating it. Number two, a demon will cause a believer to doubt the truth of Scripture instead of treasuring it. Number three, to love the world instead of shunning it. Four, devalue kingdom work instead of advancing it. And number five, deceive the believer to fall back into sin instead of running from it. I'm going to leave those up on the screen for a little bit for those of you who are taking notes. If you're not taking notes, I really want to encourage you to do that when and if you can. It is just a good practice. My children on the front row, will you all hold up what's in your hand, please? Just hold it right up in the air for everyone to see. Just hold it right up high. Hold it high. See that? My children, there's a rule that I give to my children. I can't make you do anything, church, but I can make them do things. They have a rule. They have to take three notes during the sermon. Three notes, just three things, three things that stand out to them. This is a good practice. My dad taught me, and you've heard me say it. Now, one day you can say, my pastor taught me. So thank you, dad, who might be listening to this. The shortest pencil is better than the longest memory, meaning write it down because you will forget it. Write it down. Even if it's just three things, church, let me encourage you to start taking up this practice. Write things down during the sermon, even if it's just three sentences. Okay? So, demons oppress us by causing us to fear the day of our death instead of anticipating it. Doubt the truth of Scripture instead of treasuring it. Love the world instead of shunning it. Devalue kingdom work instead of advancing it. And deceive the believer to fall back into sin instead of running from it. These are the tactics of the devil and his angels towards the Christian, which is why we need to know our enemy and know his ways so that we don't get trapped. Thankfully, we have power to fight and win because of who our faith is in. We have power, and and we have power to fight and win because of who our faith is in. 1 John 3, 8 tells us one of the reasons why Jesus came, he says, he, hey, he says the reason, it's just, but it's, it's one of the reasons. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the, God, the, reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's 1 John 3, 8. 
which is in perfect fulfillment of a prophecy made back in the Garden of Eden. Remember when the Lord was pronouncing his judgment on the serpent for deceiving the woman? This is the great, it's called the Proto-Evangelion, which means first gospel. Listen to this. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. The great offspring of the woman is the Lord Jesus. He bruised the serpent's head through his death, burial, and resurrection. The bruising of the head is the, is the sign of like a death blow. If you get hit in the head, it's usually lights out. But the bruising of the heel represents a wound that is ultimately less successful in bringing about a final destruction. And we know that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was the sign that the work was done and he now lives forever. The Lord Jesus was the fulfillment of this prophecy. This is how he destroyed the ultimate power of the devil. I say ultimate power of the devil because he cannot keep anyone in his domain of darkness. Jesus robs the devil often. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, tell us that Jesus took on flesh and blood so that he could suffer and die to deliver us from the wicked one. Listen to this, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. All those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's why I put as the first thing calls us to fear death instead of anticipate it. It is a gripping fear for some people, the thought of death. He says even it puts them in lifelong slavery. For the Christian... We look forward to death. We look forward to it. Butch and I were just talking about this this morning. We talk about being above ground is, is good. We say, well, I'm above ground, and that's good. And I said, but for the Christian, actually, below ground's not that bad either. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul said. If I live, Jesus. If I die, Jesus. So the devil and his demons knew that when Jesus came on the scene and began his ministry, they knew that their time was short. That's why we see so much. Have you ever noticed? That's why we see so much demonic activity surrounding the ministry of Jesus. Do you realize that? There's just demons all over the place when Jesus comes on the scene. There's a demon here. There's a demon there. This guy, there's a demon in the synagogue and a man. They're just extremely active around the time of Jesus. Why? They know their time is short. Misery loves company. Let's bring as many people with us as we can. Hurry up. Get active. Jesus stirs up the darkness because he's the light. So look at verse 20 in our text. Verse 20 in our text. And they brought the boy to him, And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. 
Now, this was a common occurrence for demons in the presence of Jesus to fall down. We've seen this before. Mark 3, 11 says, Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! Demons fall down before Jesus. They're afraid of Jesus. He's more powerful than they are. He has authority over them. They also know they must obey him. There's even some demons, the legion of demons that are in the man, say, have you come here to torment us before the time, before the appointed time? They know there's there's an appointed time for their torment. They know it. And they also know Jesus can start that torment before if he wants to. Have you come here to start this now? They're afraid because they know he can do anything to us he wants to do. We know how powerful he is. We remember seeing him in heaven. We remember that stunning light, all that power and glory. And we knew how, we remember how beautiful it was at first. But then we remember that once we changed, how repulsive it was and how much we hated it. And they still hate it, but they're also afraid of it. Demons fear Jesus. So if you have Jesus, you need not fear demons. Demons fear Jesus. So if you have Jesus, you need not fear demons. You are to be aware of them, yes. You are to know their tactics and their schemes and their lies, yes. But you do not have to live in fear of them. Yes, know your enemy but you do not have to be afraid of him. The demons fear the one within you much more than you realize. Demons fear the one within you much more than you realize. Listen to 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We have the more powerful king within us. Remember... Speaking of falling at Jesus' feet, even the man with the legion of demons, we're told in the text, ran at Jesus and fell at his feet. He wasn't running at Jesus like a wild dog to attack him. No, he was running there to bow down to him. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? He was running at Jesus to bow down, to get down in front of him. And to start begging, please don't torment us. Please cast us into the herd of swine. They begged. And that's all they could do. They tremble when they think about Jesus because they must obey him. They have no choice but to obey him. As we're about to find out in our text, look at verses 21 and 22. So Jesus asked a question to the father, and the father answers it. This is the father of the young man with the spirit. Look at verses 21 and 22. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. How sad. From childhood, it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. We, we know that the boy fell down, started grinding his teeth, 
and became rigid. This looks like a seizure. This is what it would have more than likely appeared as, as a seizure. And more than likely, the casting him into fire and water, more than likely, when he was around fire and water, the demon seized the boy with a seizure like this and just caused him to drop into the water or drop into fire. And the parents had to run and yank him out. And the parents interpreted this as, this is the demon doing this. And they're right. There is a demon within him. Am I saying all seizures are demons? No, I'm not saying that. Do not put words in my mouth, please, okay? I'm not saying that. But it seems as though looking upon this, it would have appeared what we know as a seizure. If you've ever seen someone have a seizure, it's pretty frightening. Imagine the person always seeming to have seizures around fire and water. Hmm, isn't that a strange coincidence? Not if it's a demon. The father asked something of Jesus at the end of verse 22. Look with me. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus is concerned by the wording of the man's phrase. If you can, Jesus says. If, if you can. Look at the rest of verses 23 and 24. He says, all things are possible for the one who believes. If you can. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This is a perfectly legitimate prayer for us to pray. Help my unbelief. I've prayed that before. I've seen my lack of fervent, deep-rooted, unshakable faith. And I want a deep, fervent, unshakable faith. I want that all the time. I've prayed, help my unbelief. Help me. Strengthen my faith. This is a good prayer to pray. Pray this prayer, church. Pray in this way. It's okay to pray this way. You need strong faith. You need strong belief. And God wants you to have both. And God helps you to have both. Isn't that encouraging? Not only does God want you to have both, he helps you to have both. We don't have a God that just says, listen, here's the standard, and you need to be there, okay? So, suck it up. What's wrong with you? Get at it. Look at all my other Christians. Look how good they're doing. What's your problem? No, we don't have a father like that. And we do have a father who will discipline us, of course, but it's always with the motive of getting us back to where we were. And even better, the Lord, the Lord loves he disciplines. The Lord wants you to have strong faith. He wants you to pray for that strong faith. And he wants to give you strong faith. The faith that you received at your salvation, did it come from you? No. The Bible says it's a gift from God so that no man can boast. You didn't get yourself in the kingdom. And God doesn't require you to keep yourself in the kingdom either. Yes, we're supposed to walk in obedience. Yes, we're supposed to practice the spiritual disciplines that cause strong faith. But then we're also supposed to pray for it as well. We see all this in Scripture. We saw all that in Scripture. You have a father who wants to help you have strong faith. Church, be encouraged by this. 
Be encouraged by this. I'm, I'm laboring this point because I want my sheep to know what God is really like. I, it's my job to give you a very clear picture of God so you'll love him more and be stronger in your faith. You need strong faith. You need strong belief, and God wants you to have both, and he helps you to have both. Remember what Jesus said earlier in verse 19 of our text? Look at verse 19 of our text. When he saw that people were arguing and that the disciples couldn't cast this demon out, what's he say? Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? This was in response to hearing about the disciples not being able to cast the demon out. I believe Jesus mentions the word faithless for a reason. It's for their lack of success in being able to cast the demon out. I believe he's pointing at one of the reasons, one of the reasons why this demon was not coming out at the disciples' word. We're going to see another reason here in just a second. But I believe faith, faithlessness was part of it. And I believe he points that out by saying that. Jesus doesn't waste words. He doesn't say words just, eh, no, they're all intentional. They're all very intentional. And they're all scripture. As soon as he speaks them, they're eternal scripture. We're going to learn later, uh, though, that some demons can be stronger than others. Some demons are actually even more dangerous than others. Some demons were told in the book of Peter, First uh, Peter, I believe it's First Peter, that they were immediately put in chains and bound up. Others were allowed to be free and be loose. Why? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. There are different kinds of demons. They seem to have different strengths. Because we see that some require more effort on the believer's part when it comes to being able to cast them out. Look at verses 25 through 27. After asking Jesus to help his unbelief, we read this in verses 25 through 27. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. That means that spirit could never enter the young man ever again, and also means that spirit was now gone, was out, coming, it was no choice. It's coming out. Look, verse 26. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. I mean, imagine, <laughs> imagine seeing someone speak to someone else. Imagine seeing someone pointing his finger in the face of someone else and saying, come out of him and never come into him again. And then all of a sudden, that person falls on the floor, flops around like a fish so violently, and then just lays there and looks dead. You've got to imagine this scene. It was just shocking, but also powerful. This demon that had a grip on this young man and tormented him for all these years was ripped out of him and could never go back in. And Jesus did it by talking. <laughs> hey, we have a powerful God. We have a powerful Jesus. Jesus then, though showing such extreme power, then shows great affection. 
Look at verse 27. He took him by the hand and lifted him up. Jesus is the perfect balance of power and gentleness. He's just so perfect. He's so perfect. Knowing the enemy of our enemy, the devil, is the ultimate key to defeating him. Knowing the enemy of our enemy, the devil, is the key to defeating him. In and of yourself, you have no power against the forces of darkness. Let me say that again. In and of yourself, you have no power against the forces of darkness. The only power that you have now is, as a believer in the faith, you do have power over these beings, but it's not ever disconnected from Jesus in you. It flows through Jesus in you. Do not ever think that you somehow have some type of Cohen authority or Butch authority or Jay authority or Trish authority. No, it's Jesus authority in you. Do not ever get that mixed up. You'll see it get mixed up in people sometimes talking like they have power. You have nothing without Jesus Christ. Do you want anything apart from Jesus Christ? Do you want anything in your life that's not connected to Jesus Christ? I don't. Anytime I've tried to bring something into my life that was not connected to Jesus Christ, it was a mistake. It was a hurt to me. The unbeliever is still in the kingdom of darkness. So how could he have power over the kingdom of darkness? But the believer, we have the king of heaven, and the king dwells in perfect light to cast out any darkness. If you know Jesus, you have everything you need. But that doesn't mean we sit back and only pray for Jesus to fight our battles. Yes, we do know that Jesus does fight for us. Absolutely, we need that. But he's also clear about the fact that we also have kingdom work to do in the fight against darkness. Look at verses 28 and 29. 28 and 29 of Mark 9. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can only be driven out. I mean, (laughs) this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And of course, he means prayer on their part. Because did Jesus pray before he cast it out? No. He just spoke and the demon came out. So what's he referring to? Us. If you want to cast this demon out, this one, this kind, you've got to pray. And probably much prayer. Some translations say prayer and fasting. The reason why we have differences in our translations here in in Mark uh, nine is just because some of the oldest manuscripts that we found, some of the oldest Greek manuscripts that we found, um, don't have the phrase and fasting. Was it added later? Was it there originally? Well, that's a debate for a different time, but I think the point is clear, though. Sometimes Christians, when fighting against darkness, we know that more effort is required. That's the point. That's the point, whether we want to debate if I should pray and fast or if I should just pray. The point is, sometimes in your fight against darkness, more effort is required. Are you continuing 
to struggle with a certain sin again and again and again and again and again? But are you just putting the same bit of effort towards that struggle again and again, year after year? If you want it gone, if you want victory over it, you've got to get more serious about it. And you'll get more serious about it when God helps you see just how truly destructive it is. That's usually our, our problem, is we don't actually see sin for how bad it is. And God opens our eyes to that and helps us pray that he'll wreck you then. Pray that he will wreck you and convince you of this thing that you're struggling with. Lord, show me just how damaging this is to me. We're going to end here in a moment, but let me say this. The devil knows that more effort is needed sometimes to defeat him. Which is why I told you one thing that demons try to do for the Christian is they try to devalue kingdom work. Instead of us advancing it, they want to devalue that kingdom work. Oh, you don't need to pray that much. Just, just, just try again. Uh, you don't have to pray and fast, but just, just, just keep doing what you're doing. It'll probably be gone this time. They devalue kingdom work. Kingdom work is so vital for us. Kingdom work is not only the king's work, but the work of those in the kingdom. Kingdom work is not only the king's work, but the work of those in the kingdom. And the devil knows how powerful that is for you and I. And guess what? He also knows how powerful our king is as well. (laughs) Do you know how powerful the king is? Keep coming to church. Keep taking in scripture regularly. Keep flooding your ears with good, solid Christian music. Keep praying. Keep meeting together with other brothers and sisters. All this will help you grow in your love for the king. All this will help you grow in your love for the king. Don't leave any of them out. Stack on more. All this helps you grow in your love and knowledge of the king. And you'll know your king truly, and you'll love him dearly. And you'll be a threat to the darkness. You know what makes me scared? I've thought about this sitting in my office sometimes. And it's me, myself. I'm my own worst critic, but I know the devil specifically attacks his teachers. I often fear the day that I might become not so much of a threat to Satan. I fear that day. I don't want the demons to look at me and say, oh, he's not a threat. We don't, he's... Don't worry about him. Let's, let's focus on this guy instead. He's, trust me, we got him right where we want him. He's good. I don't want that. Do you want that? Don't you want the demons to look at you and say, oh, no, he's here. She's here. We, need to, we really need to convince her not to pray about this because we're in trouble. If she, we, we really need to get him to just keep spending way too much time on Netflix and the internet because if he gets off that, he's going to think about Jesus and he get in his Bible and he might pray and he might invite a friend to church and he might share the gospel with his neighbor. And he, I'm telling you, keep distracting him. More video games. 
keep distracting him. Because when he's distracted, he's not a threat. And I don't want that. And that's what scares me. I don't ever want to not be a threat to the, king, to the darkness. I want to be a threat to the darkness. And it's going to come as I'm closer to Jesus. Because that's who they fear. They're not so fearful of Ko and Ezel. They're fearful of Jesus Christ in Ko and Ezel. Or in John David. Or in Carrie. Or in Laura. Did you know that all Christians will celebrate together one day as we see our great enemy, the devil, finally defeated and cast into the lake of fire? We're going to get to see it. And we're going to get to celebrate. Have you ever watched a movie and seen the bad guy at the end get what he deserves? And you're like, yes, take that, bad guy. We kind of mirror ourselves in the hero. There's actually a, and I know I'm going longer, but I am Baptist. (laughs) There's actually something that happens when we watch movies. I've heard the term before, but it's like this neurological thing. And I forget what it's called, but it has something to do with mirroring. We mirror ourselves with the good guy in the movie. And we sort of embody the good guy in the movie. So when the good guy in the movie is punching the bad guy and beating him up, guess what? We feel good because we're saying, yeah, take that, bad guy. Well, let me tell you, on the final day, when we see the bad guy and we see Jesus defeating him, that's going to be a good day. We're going to say, take that. I believe we'll even have some part in it in some way uh, because Jesus said to the one who was persecuting his church once, why do you persecute me? But guess what? The lake of fire is also prepared for. It's also for those who don't know the Lord, who are in their sin. So the devil, there's going to be two groups of people there on that day. Believers watching it happen and unbelievers going into it. None of us want any of you to be in it. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus today, let me encourage you. You've got a compassionate, kind Christ who took the punishment for you and rose again. And he is standing there saying, come sinner, I will forgive you. I've paid the price already. So if you don't know him this morning, sinner, right where you're sitting right now, come, ask him to save you. A broken and contrite heart, he will not cast away, the psalm says. Isn't that good news? Know your enemy and know his enemy. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this truth this morning. A lot of truth this morning. Father, I pray thanking you for it. And I pray, of course, help us to live it, believe it. Please help us to be aware of the tactics of the wicked one to make us less threatening. Do not let us fall into them, Lord. Please help us to be a threat to the darkness by being so close to you, by shining your light so brightly. We advance the kingdom. Your kingdom comes 
as your will is done. In Jesus' name, amen.